Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. I've been having so much fun betting on the NBA playoffs with FanDuel with same game parlays, with live lines. I've even really enjoyed this cash out feature, especially with all these blowouts. If you make a bet and you're in really good shape with the bet and you don't want to lose your winnings over garbage time, you can sometimes cash out and get some of your winnings out easily and not have to take that risk. It's easy to use, it's safe and secure, and you get your winnings fast. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, Dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. (laughs) 
All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you had a fantastic weekend. If for whatever reason you missed it, last night after the final buzzer, I went live with Colin Coward for about a half hour, and we got into a bunch of details from this particular series. We also touched on some Utah Jazz in wake of the Quinn Snyder firing, and we also got to a little bit of Lakers. So if for whatever reason you missed that, you can find it on The Volume's YouTube channel as well as on the Colin Cowherd podcast feed. Couple of other quick notes before we get started. Remember to follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. I'm going to get to a ton of X's and O's today, stuff in the weeds, and there is a lot of video evidence of the things that I'm talking about that I clipped out this morning during my film session and put on my Twitter feed. So you're going to want to go there to see the video clips that I'm directly referencing. And last but not least, if for whatever reason you miss a portion of this show or you miss a portion of any of our shows and you don't have the time to check them out on YouTube, Go follow our podcast feed. Right now it's under Lakers Tonight. We put the audio of these videos on that feed, typically about an hour after we finish recording. So make sure you follow us there so you don't miss any of our content. So I've really appreciated in this NBA Finals series having the opportunity to do my show in the off days. And obviously we'll probably end up having some games in this series where we go right after a game. But what I appreciate about the, uh, doing it on the off days is I really have an opportunity to go over the film with a fine-toothed comb. I enjoy doing the instant reaction breakdowns for you guys, and obviously that's going to consistently be a big part of what we do here at this show and at this company. But at the same time, you miss some stuff in the first view. You might have a wrong impression in your first view of a game. And it's nice to have the opportunity to go back over the film because you just learn so much more that way. And I'm really, really excited to share with you guys all the stuff that I learned from my film session this morning. I want to start with a macro topic, kind of like what I did with game one. In game one, if you guys remember, I talked a lot about Boston's perimeter size. The fact that with the combination of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, they're just so big and strong and athletic on the perimeter that it gives them some significant mismatches over the Golden State perimeter players. As a result, they were getting amazing dribble penetration. And dribble penetration is vitally important to this Boston team because they're at their best when they're driving and kicking. I've talked a lot about this on the show uh, uh, in the last couple of months, but Boston's best lineup with Al Horford at the five, with Tatum and Brown, and with Derek White and Marcus Smart, they have five players that can all shoot, pass, and dribble. You know, Al Horford's not the best guy to put the ball on the floor and dribble, but he can do it pretty well compared to most bigs. And then all four of those perimeter players are pretty damn good at all three of those things. And so when you get the five of them together and they're all driving and kicking and passing and shooting, they get fantastic shots. But that initial dribble penetration is vitally important. Why? Because guys like Marcus Smart and Al Horford and Derek White are not great at getting dribble penetration against a set defense. But if you can get them attacking closeouts, they're really good at extending that advantage. But there's a lot of responsibility on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to create that initial bit of dribble penetration to get the defense to collapse so that everything else can work for Boston. In game two, Golden State completely rectified that dribble penetration issue. And they did it with two things. And both of them I thought were really smart. And both of them came down to Steve Kerr and, and a couple of really, really smart adjustments. The first one was one that was kind of 
uh, uh, one of the, I kind of expected to see at some point in the series. If you guys remember, I talked about how I really liked Wiggins on Tatum. And Wiggins, through two games, has done an excellent job guarding Tatum. Big shock. He did an excellent job guarding Luka. So you could expect that. But what I was worried about was the other matchup, Jalen Brown. Because you want to keep Draymond Green in help, right? Like they did in game one. Draymond Green basically ignored Al Horford and was roaming around on the inside helping on everything else. They did a good job there, but as a result, Al Horford got all those open threes and that was going to be an issue, right? So I was concerned about whether or not Golden State would be willing to risk switching Draymond Green out to Jalen Brown because if you switch him out to Jalen Brown, it's harder for him to help because he's going to be guarding at the point of attack so much more. But help is a lot less necessary if there isn't as much dribble penetration. And so the move from Kerr and Draymond to switch Draymond off of Horford and put him onto Jalen Brown completely changed the dynamic of this series. Because Wiggins is already doing a good job with Tatum. But Jalen Brown getting his dribble penetration taken away by Draymond completely changed that drive and kick dynamic that Boston kept trying to get into. I tweeted out today, and you can find it on my Twitter feed, two screenshots from the shot charts on, uh, on the ESPN app. And if you look at the one on the left, it's Jalen Brown's shot chart in game one. If you look on the one on the right, it's Jalen Brown's shot chart in game two. The only difference there being Draymond Green is the primary defender in game two. And obviously the visual representation is incredibly jarring. How frequently Jalen Brown was getting into the paint. So go look at that if you want to see the visual representation. But here's some numbers. In game one, Jalen Brown attempted 11 total shots in the paint. And three in the restricted area. That's pretty damn good against a great Golden State defense that helps a ton in the paint. In game two, only four attempts in the painted area. And zero in the restricted area. That's how much that changed the dynamic of Boston's offense. Or Without Jalen Brown able to get that initial dribble penetration, and with the job that Wiggins was doing on Tatum, it changed that dynamic a lot. But it wasn't just Draymond. It was a lot of guys. Steph, Steph, uh, uh, Steph has always been underrated as a defensive player, but he did a really nice job with his contain on Derek White. Andrew Wiggins, like I just said, did a great job on Tatum. And there were a lot of possessions where uh, Gary Payton Jr. was on Al Horford. And because Gary Payton Jr. plays so much bigger than he is, and because Al Horford's not a great hasn't demonstrated to, uh, to be much of a post-up threat in this series, which we'll get to in a minute, they were able to switch Gary Payton onto a lot of those ball screens and contain things there. And most importantly, and this was the second adjustment from Kerr, at halftime, for the first half, and I said this on last night's show with Colin, for the first three halves of the series, Boston was the more physical team. And they weren't dominant, but I thought, I thought Boston demonstrated to be slightly better than Golden State in terms of their two-way ability through the first three halves of this series. But it was because Golden State wasn't matching the physicality of Boston. In that third quarter, last night, and I, I would imagine this was an adjustment from Kerr, Golden State came out and made it a bloodbath physically. And that in combination with what Draymond Green was doing to Jalen Brown completely shut down Boston's offense. How did it manifest? Well, in game one, the Celtics had 33 assists. Game two, 24. In game one, the uh, Celtics only had 13 turnovers. In game two, 19. Those 19 turnovers led to 33 points for Golden State, getting out in transition, which we'll get to here in a minute. 
They uh, The Celtics generated 23 wide-open threes in Game 1. In Game 2, only 13. So as you can see, containing that dribble penetration from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and from Derek White and Marcus Smart, again, this is a team effort from Golden State, prevented Golden State from having to get into rotation as often, which took away from Boston's ability to drive and kick to open shooters, and it completely stunted Boston's offense. So huge credit to Steve Kerr, huge credit to Draymond Green. What a weapon to have in your arsenal. A a big man that you can switch out onto a wing, one of the better slashing wings that we have in the league, and completely shut him down. And a huge part of that was just understanding the physicality. This is the NBA Finals. You're allowed to get away with so much. I was joking with Colin last night. There was a play with Draymond guarding Jalen Brown right in the middle of the floor. Jalen Brown ended up taking a turnover over a turn a turnaround jump shot over his left shoulder, and he bricked it. And they go back to the replay. Jeff Van Gundy's like complimenting Draymond on his defense. And I'm watching the video, and I'm like, man, Draymond fouled him like six times on that play. But I don't have any problem with it because everyone's fouling. Boston's fouling too. This is a series where everyone is fouling. And I think Steve Kerr understood, especially as the team had a disadvantage. Subconsciously with referees, they will always let the team with the disadvantage get away with more. It's a subconscious thing. I don't believe in rigged playoff series or anything like that. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But I do think human nature comes into play in situations like this. Referees, they can't help themselves. They're going to favor the underdog. Not that Golden State's the underdog, but they were down 1-0 in the series. It's a natural way things go. And capitalizing on that leeway to be the more physical team was just a really, really smart play from Golden State. And it would be really, really smart for Boston to try to do the same thing in Game 3. I want to talk about Boston's offense for a minute. So in the first quarter... Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown had 26 points on 8 of 15 from the field, 6 of 8 from 3. And the rest of the game, they only had 19 points on 5 for 21 from the field and 3 for 10 from 3. This is the huge difference between process and results. You know, that that whole Joel Embiid thing, trust the process. The whole idea there is like, hey, we're not getting results on the court. We're tanking. But there's something we're building here. We're accumulating talent to make a run, right? That's the idea. Your your process is always more important than the results. Because results can carry you in the short term, right? Wild results that go one way or the other. But if you're playing seven games against a team, if you're playing almost 350 minutes of basketball, it's going to be the team with the better process that has the advantage. Because the small sample size variation isn't in your favor anymore. You have to have many hot streaks, not just one hot streak. And when I was watching the tape, again, 26 points, 8 of 15 shooting, 6 of 8 from 3 for Tatum and Brown in the first quarter. They weren't great shots. Jalen Brown's first two shots that he made were a random contested pull-up three over the top of of, uh, Draymond Green on the left wing and then a transition pull-up three uh, like from 26 feet on the left wing, both early in the shot clock. No attempt to create any advantage. Just dribble up and shoot. And they went in. That's awesome. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are really talented players. And they're going to have moments where they make plays like that. But it's not good process. I tweeted out a video. You can find it on my Twitter feed. Where I clipped out like 9 or 10 possessions from that first quarter. That demonstrate exactly what I'm talking about. 
This has been the story of Boston throughout this entire season, and especially in this playoff run. They go through stretches where their offensive decision-making makes absolutely no sense. I can't tell you how many times in that video you'll see Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown just dribble up the floor and shoot. Or drive into the lane and see Golden State collapsed at the basket with easy kickout opportunities to wide-open shooters and just force things around the basket. Boston was 12 for 30 from inside the paint last night. That's hard to do. That means you're jacking up shots over heavy contests in the paint. When the whole point of your offense is driving kick to get open shots, this team too frequently loses sight of, of, of who they are. But this is, the, this is the problem with not having a point guard. There was a sequence there in the second half that I thought, um, or in the first half, second quarter, that perfectly encapsulated what, I was talk- what I'm talking about right now. So Tatum runs an action, I believe, with a Horford at the top of the key and gets Nemanja Bialica on a switch on the left wing. Floor is spaced. Pritchard's in the left corner, so good, good shooter. He's got Bialica on it. Take him to the rim. He can't guard you. He doesn't play for the most part for this team because he can't guard. And he sure as hell can't guard you, Tatum. But all he did was kind of randomly throw a left-to-right crossover that accomplished nothing and then swing the ball to Derek Wright and the possession was effectively over. Derek White ended up having to throw some garbage up. Then they go down and they get a stop. And Tatum comes down very next possession after getting a stop and just jacks up an early clock contested pull-up three over Andrew Wiggins. And he makes it. But again, it's like, that's bad process. You had a great mismatch opportunity against Golden State's worst defender, and you didn't even attempt to attack it. Then on the next possession, you dribbled up the floor and shot a pull-up contested three over their best perimeter defender. Like, what is the process there? I don't understand. Now, in results, that's three points in two possessions. That's 150 offensive rating. That's great. In a small sample size, it worked out for you. But that's bad process. The team offense for Boston for the entirety of the game was horrible. I talked about this last night with Colin, but I thought Tatum's game in game one was better, even though he didn't shoot nearly as well. Because he was getting consistent dribble penetration, and as a result, he had 13 assists. Okay, great. You turned it on as a scorer a little bit in this game. You hunted your pull-up jump shot a lot. You made six out of nine threes. You made some tough fadeaway jumpers. That's great. They all were pretty. Boston, your team offense combusted. So it's not about Tatum scoring. It's about your team offense. And within this team offense, it's vitally important for Jason Tatum to create dribble penetration. You know, especially with this adjustment, putting Draymond Green onto Jalen Brown, I don't know that you can count on Jalen Brown anymore to create that initial advantage. They're letting Draymond play defense with his hands. He's very, very good as a physical defender when he's allowed to be physical. Jalen Brown's not going to get dribble penetration. You might need to have him be your second side creator. You might need to have Jalen Brown attacking closeouts. You need to get Draymond Green in to help. And the only way to do that is for Tatum now to be that initial creator. 
And they might have to mix it up even further. Might have to be a little bit more Derek White. Like, look at Derek White and be like, hey, man, I need you just to put your head down and try to beat Steph off the dribble. Try to get that initial penetration. Try to engage Draymond Green and help. The other thing, too, is they've got to figure out. So what do you? what's the natural progression here? If Draymond is guarding Jalen Brown, what's the other matchup that that creates? So if Draymond, a big man for Golden State, has to go out to the perimeter to shut down a perimeter player for Boston, now Clay Thompson, who was guarding Jalen Brown, has to guard Al Horford. And I thought it was kind of smart because they just had Clay Thompson hug up on Al Horford. Didn't help. As a result, Al Horford had zero three-point attempts because he just wasn't open because they were basically playing four-on-four with Clay Thompson, for the most part, out of the play, just hugged up to Al Horford. But what's the counter there? Are you going to let Clay Thompson just guard Al Horford? Apparently, yes. Because they only had one post-up for Horford on Clay Thompson in the entire game. I tweeted out the link. You can find it on my Twitter feed. And on that play, Al Horford drew a double team from Draymond Green. Because guess what? They don't want Clay Thompson on an island against Horford. It's not going to go well. And Horford didn't see the double team coming and ended up smoking a layup over the top. But the point is, is that is the matchup you have to attack then. If Golden State is going to concede a physical advantage to take away one of your physical advantages, you have to attack them on the other front. So in Game 3, I hope to see a lot, for Boston's sake, I hope to see a lot more Al Horford posting up on Klay Thompson, forcing those double teams, which is another great way to get in your driving kick. Al Horford posts up, here comes the second defender, kick out to Jalen Brown or whoever it is, Horford relocates to the corner, you're back in your five out, now we're driving and kicking again. It's an easy way to counter that. They just need to get back to the style of offense they played in game one, which is slashing and driving and kicking. And the only way they're going to do that is if they figure out how to get that initial advantage. And if Tatum, it's got to it's gotta be Tatum, but you also need to get it from one more place. It needs to be either Derek White slashing or those Al Horford post-ups. All right, let's move on to Golden State on offense. So I thought the most obvious adjustment from Golden State in game two was to avoid the half court at all costs. I, t- I talked about before the series, you know, I think Golden State has more offensive talent overall than Boston. I think that goes without saying. Steph is by far the best offensive player in the series. And then you've got Jordan Poole, you got Clay Thompson, they got Andrew Wiggins. They've got a ton of offensive talent on this roster. They got lots of shooting, right? But in the half court, when Boston, who's the bigger team, especially on the perimeter, is allowed to be physical. They can make up that offensive gap. And that's manifested throughout this series. In the half court so far through two games, Boston has a 97.4 offensive rating. Golden State has a 98.6 offensive rating. That's basically a wash. We're talking about one point there. Right? So if the game plays out in the half court, it could go either way. But in transition, I've been on this this entire playoff run. Boston is a terrible transition defense team. Their guys constantly fall down when they drive to the basket, searching for calls. In general, against Golden State's physicality last night, anytime they were getting hacked, they were more concerned with just raking their arms out, trying to draw fouls than being physically strong with the basketball. They were turning the basketball over, complaining to the refs, and jogging back on defense. They did that against Miami, they did it against Brooklyn, and they did it against Milwaukee. They were going to do it against Golden State, and they did. As a result... Golden State, who's a good transition defense, held Boston so far through two games. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. 
While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. To an 88.5 offensive rating on transition opportunities. That's insane uh, uh, transition defense from Golden State. Especially for a team as athletic as Boston. Golden State, in comparison, is scoring 109.7 points per transition opportunity in the series. That's where the dynamic is, right? And we've seen this with Boston before in previous series, but in the half court, this series is kind of a wash. And Boston has some advantages there, and they very well may win this series if it stays in the half court. But if Golden State can persistently continue to push the ball up the floor, like they have through two games, they're going to win because they are a much better transition team, and that's where they have their advantage. They force Boston into 19 turnovers with their physicality. Those live ball turnovers do such an amazing job of compromising their defense as they're trying to get back and it gives you the opportunity to get out and score easy baskets. Golden State, Golden State scored 33 points on Boston turnovers last night. Imagine in an NBA Finals game, an absolute rock fight where you're struggling to get to 100 points, how nice it is when you can get a third of your offense by running out for open shots and layups. That's the advantage of pushing the ball in transition. Now, in order, like we talked about earlier, I talked the whole beginning of the show, we talked about uh, Golden State's perimeter defense, the way they contained dribble penetration, and the way that forced turnovers and threw Boston's offense out of whack. In order to score in transition, you absolutely must get a lot of stops and force a lot of turnovers. And that's what Golden State did last night. That was a huge advantage to them unlocking the offensive bursts that they had. The other vitally important element to Golden State's offense that finally went their way there in that second half last night was they got some secondary creation. Jordan Poole finally got going. For those of you guys who follow me on Twitter, I was talking about during the first half that through three halves, Boston looked like the slightly better team. And a huge part of that was the fact that that if you were ranking offensive players in this series through three halves, you would have ranked Steph one, and you probably would have named three or four Celtics 
before you got to another warrior because you were you weren't getting anything from Jordan Poole and you weren't getting anything from Clay Thompson. That initial that initial advantage creation like I talk about for Boston, the job that Jason Tatum has to get into the paint or if they can't get it from Jalen Brown having to do the Al Horford post-ups or more Derek White drives, that's all about creating that initial advantage and you can't just get it from one guy. It's just too much to ask, right? And so it was going to be vitally important for Golden State to take control of the series to have one of those guys, either Clay Thompson or Jordan Poole or Andrew Wiggins, get going offensively. Now, I don't think Andrew Wiggins is going to get going offensively to, to, to much of an extent. He, in terms of it as an initiator, he'll score attacking closeouts and knocking down threes as part of Golden State's system. But against this really good Boston defense, I don't think you can just throw Wiggins the ball. Same thing goes for Clay. Like Clay's taking all the same crazy wild Clay shots that he always takes, but he's not getting open shots. I don't see a a a, a, a version of this series where Clay consistently gets going because his shot quality isn't good enough. It kind of goes back to that process results thing we were talking about. Yes, the results aren't good, but the pro I mean, it's not a process issue. It's just a limitation at this phase of his career and against this great of a Boston defense. He's struggling to create looks. So it turns out it's got to be Jordan Poole, and it was. I talked about in my series preview, there was a game this year where Jordan Poole scored 29 points against Boston. It was a blowout, but he showed the ability to score against that Boston defense. And so coming into this series, I figured Jordan Poole would have to be this guy. And I know there's defensive limitations there, and they're going to have to figure out ways to do that. Like I, I think the easy way is play him alongside uh, uh, Draymond Green and Kevon Looney. That's where they have enough interior size and physicality to compensate for a lack of perimeter size and physicality. So maybe that's what they have to do, but the more Jordan Poole, the better, because getting Jordan Poole going is what allows them to have that second initial creation so that they can keep their Golden State basketball working, which is always very similar to Boston. It starts with Steph or Jordan Poole dragging multiple defenders and then the rest of the guys playing Warriors basketball in the back end. So it was good to see Poole get going last night. He's going to have to be consistently good in this series for Golden State to win, which I think absolutely is possible. Like I said, the Clay thing, the Wiggins thing, I don't know what you're going to get from them. But Poole is absolutely up to the challenge, and they need him to be great in order to win. One last night on gold, uh, one last note on Golden State on offense. Steph Curry, who has been wrongfully maligned as a bad playoff player by nefarious characters in the basketball community, is on his way to an absolutely amazing NBA Finals. Right now, through two games, he's averaging thirty-two, six, and five. On 62% true shooting. And he's plus 15 overall. He's been the best player in the series by a mile. And it's only been two games, and there's a lot of basketball left to be played. But Steph has been better against this Boston defense than either of Jimmy Butler or Giannis or KD. And again, like... obviously they're different teams and dynamics are different. They were able to load up on Giannis in a way that they can't with Steph. But my point is, is Steph is playing fantastic basketball. And the scoring efficiently is wild. Some of it's scheming. Boston continues to drop. The two massive threes that Steph hit in the third quarter that kind of iced the game, one in the middle of the floor and one on the right wing that was deep, both were against drop coverage. So some of it is him capitalizing on Boston's coverage, but that's to his credit. And he's been an absolute monster in this series. 
He, if they win, he's absolutely going to be finals MVP and he's absolutely going to deserve it. And I hope eventually everyone erases whatever it is that are weirdo misconceptions about who Steph is as a playoff performer because the dude just continues to be incredibly dominant at this level. Always has been incredibly dominant at this level. And I just, I just don't understand why he doesn't get that credit. So in summation, before we get out of here today, a couple of a, a quick rundown of adjustments. So for Boston, they have to clean up their offensive process. That was their biggest mistake in game two. They have to continue to generate rim, uh, rim pressure or draw double teams from Al Horford post-ups. Whatever it is they have to do, they got to get that first compromising of the defense that gets them to collapse so that they can get their driving kick game going. Secondly, get back in transition. Stop flopping. Stop complaining at the officials. Stop jogging. Get back. You're too athletic of a team to be this bad in transition defense. That's something they have to rectify, and Golden State's going to actively hunt those opportunities. Take care of the basketball. Live ball turnovers are another easy way to get Golden State going in transition. That's just decision-making. I thought a huge part of that was the physicality. When Golden State came with the physicality, Boston wilted. They didn't fight through it. They didn't take care of the basketball. They turned it over way too much, and it killed them. Post up Al Horford more. If they're going to put Draymond Green on Jalen Brown and put Klay Thompson on Al Horford, you have to punish them for doing that. And if you do so, they will force Draymond back into that matchup with Hor- with Horford, which will allow Jalen Brown to have a better matchup. That is the, the easy counter there. They have to take advantage of that. Also, put Brown on the second side. Don't let him try to drive by Draymond. He's not going to be able to. Draymond's too good of a defensive player, and this series is too physical. But if you put Tatum or whoever, or Horford or whatever it is you're going to do to create that initial advantage, have that on the first side, get Draymond to come over to help. Now you're kicking to Jalen Brown. He has an opportunity to attack a closeout. That's when his athleticism is going to be most useful with the way the matchups are playing out at this point. At least until you can get J- uh, Draymond off of Jalen Brown. For Golden State, so far, uh, Kevon Looney and Draymond Green, in 29 minutes the series are plus 19. And they're negative outside of those minutes. So that's clearly been your best opportunity. We talked a lot about Boston's perimeter size. The best way for Golden State to fight Boston's perimeter size is to play big. Obviously, it hurts them on the offensive end, but they're so much better defensively there that it's actually working out as a net positive for them. Again, plus 19 in 29 minutes. I think it's like a plus 30 net rating per 100 possessions, which is amazing. That's also a great group that you can uh, pair with Jordan Poole who you desperately need for offense, and allow yourself to make up for some of his defensive shortcomings. The other thing too, if they start posting Horford on Clay, just put Clay onto, uh, Clay onto Rob Williams. Rob Williams is not a post player. You can have the same impact there. Let Looney bang with Horford and take away those post-ups. Now they're really in a bind. because how do you pu- Now you're asking Rob Williams basically to punish Clay as an offensive rebounder, which he hasn't done much of an, uh, uh, to this point. And then last but not least, continue to bring the physicality. If you allow Boston to be the more physical team, you will lose the series because they are the bigger, stronger team. But if like in the second half of game two, if you win the physicality battle, you're also the more skilled team. And if the more skilled team also wins the physicality battle, they will dominate the series. So keep bringing that physicality and you'll continue to have that advantage. All right, that is all I have for today. Not sure what the plan is for Game 3 yet, but I'll let you guys know as soon as I know. No matter what, we will have something right after the final buzzer of Game 3 on Wednesday night. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys supporting me, supporting the network, and supporting the show. And I will see you guys in a couple of days.
the volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ready, set, griddle this grilling season. Get the Weber Slate Rust Resistant Griddle with a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge. It reaches up to 500 degrees. The Weber Works Prep cook and store system keeps cooking supplies handy, and you can carry all the food, condiments, and utensils you need. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate Rust Resistant.